0: Welcome to the
1: Overdrive Outdoors podcast, your source for everything outdoors. Let's kick it into overdrive.
0: Overdrive Outdoors podcast brought to you by Predator Hunter Outdoors. Whether you are new to predator hunting or looking to upgrade your equipment, Predator Hunter Outdoors will have you hunting after the sun goes down. Carrying a full line of lights, night vision, and thermal optics, along with tripods, calls, mounting systems, and more, check them out at www.PredatorHunterOutdoors.com or on Facebook at Predator Hunter Outdoors. Use promo code OVERDRIVE2021 for 20% off your order. Want to lengthen your time in the field and shorten your scouting time? Not only does the HuntWise app show you property boundaries, landowners' names, and in some cases even their phone number, but using the app will show you the wind direction on the map of the place you want to hunt, and the HuntCast feature shows peak movement times for various species, including predators. Get the HuntWise app at www.huntwise.com, the Google Play Store, or the Apple App Store for only $59.99 a year for pro or $119.99 a year for elite. Use promo code OVERDRIVE20 for 20% off an annual membership. Hey everybody, uh, Kevin Rott here tonight for the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Thanks for joining us. Tonight we have special guest, Chris Kreiner. Um, Chris Kreiner is another local Michigan hunter. Um, And I brought him on tonight. We're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about Chris. We're going to talk about his group. And we're going to talk about something that I really like about Chris. And that is his excellent photography skills in terms of, I mean, not only just um, like harvest picks at the end of a hunt, but through the hunt and everything else. I mean, he just takes some really good pictures. So um, with that, welcome to the podcast, Chris.
1: Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate you guys asking me to come on board.
0: Um, so tell us a little bit about your background. Um, you know, when did you get into hunting and uh, how did you get into predator hunting?
1: So obviously like uh, many people in Michigan or uh, hunters in Michigan, somewhere down the line, they had fam- uh, family that kind of got them into it. And that's where I started. Obviously my dad uh, was an avid bow hunter back when I was a kid and gosh, I can't tell you how many times he got me out into the stand and we spent times out in the stand and he would tell me, you you're wiggling too much, you're moving too much, you know, <laughs> <The> kid. Typic- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> typical kid in, in anxiety, you know, you're, you, it takes only about five minutes for a kid to get really bored up in a tree stand. So, um, but I mean, I made several trips with dad and we always seen deer, um, never, sh- he never sh- shot anything while I was in the stand with him, but we always had a good time. And then obviously fast forward and I started hunting myself and I think I shot my first deer with a bow. I think I was 12 years old. Uh, And at the time that was the legal age to, to be able to hunt. And, and then it just kind of progressed from there. Archery was always my big thing. I loved archery hunting more so than I did with uh, any type of rifle. And I was was about 17 years, 16, 17 years old. um, The topic of coyotes started coming up and, I think we stopped by Jay's sporting goods actually. And we picked up at the time it was VHS tapes. If you want to carbon date me, um, <laughs> I mean, that was a long time ago, but we picked up three or four different movies. Uh, Randy Anderson was, uh, you know, a host in one of them, uh, Ed Siri was, uh, in another video and we watched them up North and we're like, Hey, you know what, this looks pretty sweet. This looks easy. You know, we can do this. So <laughs> it always back... looks easy. <laughs> <laughs> so We get back from up north, and I start researching rifles, and I end up picking up uh, a two-two-three bolt-action Savage. And we, at the time, we lived over in a small town of Morris, uh, just on the other side, east side of Lansing. And I helped; I was helping a farmer out there, and I asked him if I could coyote hunt, and he says, "Yeah, go ahead." So my brother he picked up one uh, of—I think at the time it was one of Ed Series Rabbit Distress uh, Calls. And we go out into this little junk pile and we set up.
0: Now, was that and a hand call? That was, that was a, a hand
1: call. Was that... yeah, it was a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a hand call. Well, we did we did upgrade to the cassette afterwards because <laughs> we thought, well, this is awesome. You know, we're going to keep doing this. So uh, so my brother, he just starts screaming on his rabbit distress. And just like the movies, 30 seconds in, this coyote comes racing in. I freaking dump him at like 100 yards. And I was like this is just like the movies, you know, this is <laughs> awesome. Right. And, uh, and then we went another 12 sets without calling it. <laughs> you know, so so talk, talk about beginner's luck, you know, you couldn't ask for anything better. Um, and I think we, we did it pretty on and off over the course of about two, three years. And we had several doubles, a couple of triples uh, at one point towards the end of that. I think I was pre- Actually, I might have been pushing about twenty years old at that point. Um, I ended up calling a quad in, and this at the time, this what we did have is we had the Johnny Stewart uh, cassette tape player, you know. Yeah. So you know, a little twenty-five foot cord or whatever it is, you're on the speaker <laughs> out, yeah, darn thing. You're that cord and the cord. I mean, this was winter, so the cord gets stiff. You know, it's clanking on the speaker. It's hard to be quiet with that thing. Right. But uh, we get all set up, and we call this. I started off with a vocal. And the, this quad comes running out of the wood line and then they sit down. And of course, at the time I had already sold my two, two, three to a buddy. And so I was out with my dad, 17 HMR. And we, I mean, there's not a lot of range on it. They're, they're super accurate. I mean, you can hit things at a long distance, but there's not a lot of punch to them. Right. And the guy that was with me, he had a two forty three, and you know, he couldn't see him. I'm like, dude, there's four coyotes, 200 <laughs> yards sitting right in the middle of the field. He couldn't see him. So I just leveled up with the 17 HMR and I shot one and we tracked and like I said, 17 HMR just doesn't cut it. We tracked it for three quarters of a mile. And then it got in with all these deer tracks and we never did find it. But so that, that would kind of toward the end of my coyote hunting uh, career uh, when I was younger. And that was strictly daytime. I never did any nighttime hunting uh, until the center fire at night law passed. As with most people in Michigan, once that passed, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, there was a huge influx of people jumping into the sport. And so <clears throat> I was one of them. And I think it wasn't long after I jumped into it, I, you know, started chatting with you, chatting with Joe, uh, Josh. Um, and, and I started picking up on some things, obviously like most people also, when the night stuff happened, uh, lights were the thing, you know, that's how you got started. And, and that's where I got started. And gosh, I think that that first year hunting coyotes at night, i gosh, what did we see? We seen maybe a half a dozen and killed maybe three in that first year. So, I mean, it was, I mean, but we, and we were hunting two times a week. I mean, there was nothing, uh, it's not like uh, we had a lack of effort, but, uh, what we soon found out once you jump into that thermal and night vision game is how many coyotes you are calling in, you're just not seeing. <laughs> so, um, and so obviously that progressed into, um, at that time, I already dabbled into a little bit of photography at the time, but once the nighttime stuff started happening, it allowed me to kind of switch my photography gears into nighttime. I had gotten into a little bit of nighttime like house painting and stuff like that when you're you do long exposure and you use a flashlight and you paint a house um and and so from that knowledge I was able to transfer it into uh the nighttime photography with coyotes so so
0: so quick question for you you studied, you got rid of your 223 went to the 17 HMR what was your next rifle that you started using like when you could do the center fire at night
1: so I ended up Oh, what was it? It was a 22, two-fifty Thompson center, uh, is what I started with just a single shot break action. Oh. Um, and Joe Davis actually, he, like, I couldn't get factory ammo to shoot better than two MOA. I mean, the thing was a horrible shooter, but Joe Davis helped me. And that's actually why I got started into reloading is he showed me how to reload and we made that thing shoot. It was like. I don't know 0.3 MOA or something like that I so see. with some reloading it got shooting pretty decent and gosh I think it was August September of that year we were in a wheat stubble field and he no more than hit like uh group how- Tony Tebby's group howl two he hit that on his collar and it was 10 seconds and this coyote comes run up over the hill and it's 40 yards from us I mean it was right on top of us and I mean it happened so fast. I just pulled up and shot and I hit it a little bit on the low side, but the Cody Pierce was with us also. He said that coyote jumped like 3 feet up in the air when I hit it. <laughs> and then it ran it ran like 10 yards and was done. But uh so that was my first nighttime coyote and the first shot I had taken at one.
0: Okay. And
1: uh yeah, what a what a trip.
0: And now you've upgraded. I know you have what, a 65 Creedmoor and then the 243.
1: Yep, and I, I do I got so after the 2250, I finally jumped into the AR game and went to a 223. Um, and that gun's actually, I mean, you, you you hear it as much as I do. How many people just hate the two two three for coyotes? And I'll tell you what, the the bullets I'm running, they just work, you know. I don't I really don't get very many runners. And uh and so I went from the two two three. And then I also have the 22 Savage and the 6.5 Creedmoor Savage. And both of them have been phenomenal rifles also. And now my latest and greatest is the 243. I, I mean, Clinton, he made the upgrade to 243 last year. And uh, his confidence level went through the roof. I mean, he, it was just amazing watching that transformation. Go, have him going from a 223 to the 243. Uh, he essentially stopped missing. Oh, I mean, almost like Josh. I mean, Josh has been hammering him with his 243 also. Mm-hmm. So, having that confidence in your equipment can go a long way to making your shots.
0: Oh, absolutely. So, going back to your ammo choice, now that you hand load, you mentioned um having good success with your 223 with what you're shooting. I know you're a Nozzler fan. So, are you shooting what 60 grain ballistic tip?
1: I am shooting the 55 grain Varmagadens. Oh, okay. So, the, the flat base tip. Yep. And I, I shoot that out of my 223, my 2250, and then I shoot the 90 grain Varmageddons out of my 6-5 Creedmore. Mm-hmm. Now out of the Creedmoor, it's not for friendly. I mean it, it but it's flat and mm-hmm. it, it makes, I mean, they probably hear the whop a mile away if somebody's <laughs> right? <was standing> outside because <laughs> you definitely know it when you hit a coyote with that round. Um, but the same with the two two three and the twenty-two with those varmageddons, they just hit hard, they've got great penetration. Um out of the 223, and, and you might, since you've reloaded so long, you might have a better idea idea about this because with the 223, I usually, if I'm if there's a perfectly broadside shot, I'll get some exits. Uh, the 22250, I never get exits. Like that goes in explodes and is done. So I all I can think of is because of the slightly slower velocity.' you're, you're talking 500, 600 feet per second difference between 2250 and the 223 that the 223 just isn't getting that rapid expansion and it's allowing it to pass through. Right. Is that Folding kind of what you're better. finding?
0: Yeah. Basically yeah. It it together better because it doesn't have as much velocity to it. Um, we talked to Randy a little bit about that uh, on a podcast episode that we recorded a couple of days ago too. And he says a twist rate will also make a difference on bullets that have thinner or thicker jackets as well in terms of how fast they spin the bullet. So you have velocity Mm -hmm. and you have the actual spinning of the bullet. Both those things will contribute to um, how a fragile bullet will react versus a thicker jacketed bullet, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it's pretty interesting because, like, you know, I like nozzler bullets um, and I use quite a few of them. Um, I've used the Varmageddon in my Grendel. I haven't Mm -hmm. tried it in my 260 yet but for quite a while i was running the 60 grain ballistic tip in my 223 but i had the first bobcat i shot and then right after that a coyote i shot neither one of them the bullet never uh expanded at all so the coyote was at about 200 yard shot and the bobcat was only at about 75 yard shot um after that, I switched to the fifty-five grain V Max, but from what I understand, I think they've changed the construction of that Nosler uh, ballistic tip, so I might give that a whirl again.
1: Well, that's what I I loaded up the fifty-five grain Nosler ballistic tip for the two forty-three. I wanted some speed um, so that I could have a little more. I wanted a flatter trajectory out to three hundred because you don't get them. We don't get them hanging up at three hundred very often, but when they do, I want to be able to shoot them. Right. And one thing I'm finding with that. Now the one coyote at 300, I shot, I didn't have an exit, Um, but I hit him at the base of the neck and it went into the chest cavity. So uh, I didn't have an exit, but the other one where they're broadside um, it was only that one was, that one was pushing 300 yard broadside shot and that one exited, you know, it was a complete Mm -hmm. pass through. So I was a little bit shocked because part of the reason I wanted to go with the smaller bullet and have that more speed too, was I figured those 55s would expand good, get good explosion on the inside and and not exit. Now they are fur friendly. I will say that. I mean, they're not like the 70 green nozzlers. Um, Those 70 green nozzlers are wicked, Mm -hmm. but uh, the 55s, they're flat, but just, I'm a little disappointed on the expansion. So I'm going to keep playing with them, obviously. Um, I mean, I shot that one red fox a couple weekends ago with it, and it didn't do horrible damage. Um, but it, I mean, it was definitely repairable if you ever wanted to have it done by a taxidermist or Mr. have a pelt done or something like that. But um, but it wasn't. I it was more damage than I actually really expected on mm-hmm. such a small animal. So it just not. I'm not getting that rapid expansion that I expected.
0: I've found the varmageddon and my grendel is definitely not fur friendly uh but neither is a nozzle or ballistic tip um for fox coyotes mm-hmm. coyotes they work both of them work great i i found probably 50 50 on coyotes i would get a exit that was you know maybe size of a silver dollar or something um, the rest of the time, I oftentimes wouldn't get an exit. So in that regard, you know, on the 50% of them, it worked great. The other half is like, oh, well, I got to sew a couple holes up, you know, but, um, <laughs> definitely not on the box. It didn't, it didn't do good on the box. Well, um,
1: and that's where I was, I was hoping I'd push enough velocity. Like I said, to get that rapid expansion out of the 55s. Cause I'm pushing 40 greeners out of my 22250 at just over 4,000 feet per second. And when they hit, I, I've shot woodchuck in my backyard at 20 yards, and they don't exit. I mean, they just go, and they don't <laughs> blow up either. I mean, they just go. The bullet goes in, does its job. I mean, I would like to see a slow motion video because I bet you just, that
0: woodchuck. That's what I was asking. Do you have a video of it so
1: you can slow it? Because that that woodchuck's got a double or triple in size from that rapid expansion, but right. um, it just stones them dead, and and it's done deal. So I, I was kind of expecting that with. Uh, the smaller predators like Fox. I was kind of hoping just that quick boom, rapid expansion done and and not exit. So um, I am going to, like right now I'm loading it with H 4350. I'm going to try out some Vargate because I can get about 150 to 200 feet per second faster with Vargate. So I'm I'm going to, once it warms up, I'm going to do some more load development with that round.
0: So now along, next step in there is I know you recently... I don't know if it was about a year ago, two years ago, if so, you picked up, started getting into the suppressor game.
1: Yep. So it was, it was two years ago now, I think when I jumped into the silencer co-harvester 300 and that's been a great suppressor. Um, and I've got one in jail right now. I got the Omega 300 that, uh, is going to go on this 243 Once it, once I get my tax stamp and actually by the time my, the can showed up at the dealer, I'm now part of the E-Form 4 oh, nice. process. So I'll be able to really, I mean, the problem is right now, I'm early on in the game. I mean, they've had E-Form 4 out for what, two and a half weeks now. Yeah. And you're finding that nobody knows what's going
0: on. Right. Yeah. I mean,
1: I've, I've called my dealer twice and he goes, I haven't, I haven't heard from anybody, you know, because I, I use the silencer shop uh, kiosk, mm. you know, for my prints and everything like that. And so as part of what they're saying with this e-form process is that you sign all the paperwork. And then when it comes to certify in the paperwork, you've got your, your dealer to contact you saying it's ready to certify. And my dealer knows nothing about it. <laughs> so um, he, he's not quite sure what's going on. But What
0: dealer are you using for your suppressors?
1: Uh, or tween international down in Hastings.
0: Oh, Okay. Cause that's one so, thing that you find is, I mean, a lot of the class three dealers, especially the smaller guys don't do a lot of advertising. So like around, yeah, here, he, around here, I know there's only really like two in my area and it's, I mean, yeah, it, it's kind of a challenge sometimes to find one that you want to work with. Um, it, and
1: that's what, you know, I, I mean, you probably get questions all the time. I get questions about suppressors all the time and it, I have never done the whole paperwork process myself, you know, the thing going to the sheriff's department, getting fingerprints and everything like that. Uh, Cause Clinton, he, he highly recommended, you know, the kiosk and, mm-hmm. and that's the guy in Hastings has one. And I will say the kiosk is just, it's the cat's meow. I mean, all holy right. moly, but it easy. They make the process so easy. Um, Cause I originally printed off all the paperwork from the ATF website and I'm yeah. researching. And I'm like, I don't know if I can follow through with this. This is <laughs> right. a nightmare, you know. But silence to shop really makes it easy. I'm so
0: hope, I'm hoping for <clears> my <throat> next one. I'll find a kiosk that I can use. Um, hopefully, here not too long, I'll get my next one ordered. And I'd like to go the kiosk route. And hopefully, the form fours with the e-file will speed things up a little bit.
1: That's what I'm really hoping. I mean, right now they're advertising 90 day turnaround. You know, I don't anticipate that being the case, but 90 uh, day turnaround would be. Absolutely amazing.
0: That would be awesome. <laughs> so, so tell us about your group that you have.
1: <clears throat> so, Dust to Dawn Outdoors, um, Clinton and I. We just Clinton's just he's a social media geek. You know he he always finds all the memes. He find you know he's he's <laughs> very active and get, at least keeping content moving.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and so, in we we're trying to find a group that was very occupied all across the board whether it be social media or in the field or something you know not, it, not just one guy doing all the work type deal so so we got obviously kyle wilson he's also very active in in the social media and also a fellow staff member for uh Pro, pulsar which is who i represent and and yeah so the we got uh clinton kyle uh, Kyle's buddy, Chris and uh, my buddy, Keith, uh, Thalen. Mm-hmm. And the, so the, between the five of us, we just get out and hunt and have a good time. You know, there's no pressure, you know, and I've had, I mean, the other side of what I used to do was great outdoor pursuits, which yep. is, you know, I, we filmed everything. There was a lot of pressure to get that content, you know, toss it on YouTube. And then we even tried TV for a little while. And, and so that even increased the pressure even more, and whereas with Dust to Dawn, we just, it's, when you get time, take time. We all have families. We all have little young ones. So uh, we don't have every waking minute to spend on something that really doesn't, it doesn't pay the bills. It's just right. a fun, it's a fun hobby, you know, right. and it, it's a way to share our experiences with our followers. And, um, and one thing that we try to do, I would say be a little bit different. We really don't feel like we have anything to hide. You know, we, we try to share uh, and it, it, it does bite us at times because uh, you know, I've got a good area up in uh, just to the Northwest of me that I've hunted for the last three or four years. And there, that's an area where farmers just don't care. Anybody and everybody can hunt, you know, and
0: I got a few. And <laughs> it, yeah.
1: And I mean, it, it, clinton and i had one of our best nights up there where where we i can't even count how many coyotes we've seen but we shot at nine in one night and we only got three um so our shooting game was off that night but that that area has gotten so like one one farm i think has got four or five different guys hunting that farm so that one farm is shot right down to to producing nothing they're just they're educated and Mm -hmm. um the the coyotes will vocalize but they'll never show up and uh so i've kind of shied away from that area right now my area's been pretty undisturbed um and in most of the farmers i've in my particular areas i've i used to work in the ag industry for when i was uh 17 18 years old running fertilizer carts and tender trucks and stuff like that and loading fertilizer carts so I got to learn meet and know most of the farmers in this area anyway so I've able to been able to extend that relationship into my nighttime hunting and and even a couple of farmers like to join me when I am out and gosh the one farmer the first first night I got him out very first stand, we call in a double and we kill them both (laughs) you know so he goes he he was thinking well shoot this is easy
0: right and then
1: and then we do another seven stands and don't see or hear a thing you know so it's (laughs) luck of the draw man you got to be where the coyotes are right so
0: so now you hunt um you still hunt deer i know you've bear hunted you bobcat hunt obviously you know fox and coyote um then you also recently did a hog hunt down in texas um, and then you're planning on doing that again sometime soon this year. Uh, what else do you hunt? I mean, is there anything else that you really go on?
1: I've been out West, uh, once for mule deer with archery. Um, my other buddies, they all drew rifle tags and I'm like, well, I got to still go. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was able to pick an, an archery tag over the counter, uh, for South Dakota. But I mean, I had shots for some really small muleys, but goodness, did we see some giants? Oh my goodness. I mean, if you want to talk about put, you know, I mean, I'm seeing them at a distance at 300 yards, and I'm like, that thing's got to be pushing 180, 200 inches. I mean, the thing was just giant. And what what uh, state
0: were you in, Chris? South Dakota. Okay.
1: So, um, so (laughs) we've seen some giant mule deer, and uh, but the uh, the problem was we were hunting BLM land, and and that opening week that we were there, that first day you looked at every single hilltop and there was an orange blob on it. Mm. So, I mean, the the pressure in that area was quite high. I do plan on trying to draw a tag. Uh, I should be able to draw a rifle tag this year for South Dakota. So I'm hoping to get out there again. And then uh, I've done a trip to Montana, um, the, the Bob Marshall Wilderness for elk. And we spent two weeks out there back in, gosh, 2008. And I'll tell you what, the scenery was just absolutely beautiful in Montana. What a gorgeous, gorgeous state! Um, and we heard a bull bugle just outside of our camp in the middle of the night. We had we our spike. We couldn't build a spike camp where we wanted to because it was an area that was previously burned. So uh, we had to do our hikes every day. And it wasn't until the last day, my dad and I, we hiked. Gosh, we hiked five miles back or so. And we finally got on to a couple of hot bulls, but this was our first elk hunt. And I just over bugled and over challenged the bull. And he, you could tell when he turned, he bugled and he bugled away. Uh, you know, you could tell he was turning away to go. And I was like, Ugh. you know, it was almost going to be a picture perfect. I set my dad up, you know, where the bull was kind of coming up and I got back, you know, and I'm, but instead of using the cow mew, you know, I, I got <laughs> over aggressive with the bugle. So, you know you live live and learn
0: well, and then you're, uh you're one up on me there because that's something i've been wanting to hear in the wild that i haven't yet is oh elk
1: bugles it's one of the most majestic sounds you'll ever hear in the world every, every it's, it's, time
0: every time i see a video of it with a good elk bugle it just it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck and i'm like <laughs> i want to hear that sometime. i've been out west four times four times now uh wyoming and colorado Um. For elk, and there's only one time that I thought I heard a bugle, and I can't be 100% sure, but I'm like, man, I heard wolves howl out there. Um, I've heard wolves howl in Michigan, but I have yet to hear an elk bugle. So you got yeah. one up on the there <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, and then we, gosh, it was too So after the the Montana trip, we were like, okay, we got to start planning another trip. And so another Lansing buddy of mine, he always hunted an area in Colorado, and he goes, hey. I want to do a trip. I think it was 2011. I think is when we made a trip to Colorado and uh, we were up on this mountain. It's just a small mountain, uh, but the climb was still brutal, but there was 30, 40 head of elk on this mountain. And we all had uh, goodness. I think we had any, any animal tags. So we could shoot a cow or a bull. And we were getting into animals almost every day, but gosh, the cover that you have to be in to try to get close to them trying to get a shot through that cover just made it impossible. And my dad had a giant six by six, 15 yards away from him that he he couldn't get a shot at because the cover was too thick. So um, my, I had one brother, I think he was 16 at the time. Um, He drew back and shot at a cow, but hit a limb and the arrow went into oblivion and uh, um, I drew back and shot at a cow. And I, unfortunately she jumped my bowstring and dropped down and i hit her above in the back strap you know and um unfortunately i unrecoverable and that was that was about it but i mean we were like i said we were in animals every single day we were out there for a week and it's just again a, another beautiful state you know it's um just seeing those mountains and being in those mountains just it's something about it it, oh, it always oh. it definitely calls you back
0: i love it you know, we The first time we went out, we went to Craig, Colorado, and that was beautiful country. We got up into some, you know, higher elevation stuff. I think the first place we went was up around 9,000 feet. Um, beautiful country, but we had a storm coming in, so we ended up going down to a lower elevation. Um, and then we weren't seeing a whole lot of signs, so we talked to their DNR out there, which they're actually really good to deal with. They're like, ah, they've already migrated down they said go over check out this area which is down in sagebrush country so we got to see both of those um next time we went out to colorado we went between montrose and grand junction now that is more we were up on a mesa out there um so it was a little bit different terrain but still beautiful with all the canyons and everything around the mesa and then uh wyoming first year we were out by big piney which that was up pretty much all mountainous area and we had snow that year and it's just beautiful i did fulfill one of my bucket list items out there and that was to drink from a mountain stream i mm-hmm. did that and survived i didn't get any <laughs> oh you didn't even use a f- no, fil- no filter huh nope just <laughs> and drank right, right out the stream. i seen it was coming off a glacier so i felt pretty confident about it it was fast yeah. moving you know um but that was some beautiful country and then Joe Mainz and I went out, uh, I think it was four years ago now. Uh, We went out to Wyoming again, but that area that we hunted out there with Buck Wells was actually considered high desert, which I didn't even know Wyoming had that type of terrain. Um, And so that was different. Uh, We did go up into some mountainous areas for wolf, um, but that, when we went up there, it was also the opening day of elk season, and that place was just packed. (laughs) so it really ended up other than the scenery it wasn't very productive at all but yeah it's a beautiful country out there i love it
1: i hope to make it back to wyoming area uh, and do some antelope hunting eventually i I would like to put that on my list of animals eventually because hog hunting in texas was on my bucket list and i fulfilled that (laughs) this year so it's time to start checking off these other animals on my list
0: so if you go out to south dakota have you ever prairie dog hunted i haven't but oh, i did see that. some when
1: i was out there you that looks like a riot that.
0: that is so much fun
1: sounds like a good way to burn up a rifle
0: <laughs> yeah you can definitely yeah. expend some ammunition out there we went out there we had four guys it's myself randy booty uh, another friend bracken and then another friend named guy and we each brought three rifles and we each had a thousand rounds for each rifle
1: Oh, geez. So, yeah.
0: His, we drove a uh, guy's like minivan out there, and that thing almost bottomed out a couple of times, but we still came back with some ammo left over. But we definitely shot a lot of ammo, but man, it's a blast.
1: Do you, So, how do you typically set up for those? Are you set up just like on a hill so you can see like 600, 700 yards and you're yep. just adjusting so, and trying to get them?
0: So, when we were out there, we hooked up with a rancher out there that had several prairie dog towns on his property. And I think he, we only paid like 50 bucks a day for the hunt and then i think it was like 30 bucks a night per person to stay at a uh, cabin he had there and he basically said okay go up this road to hang a left and there's a field there with a prairie dog town on it and then you go up this road over here and there's a prairie dog town over there go out there and have fun (laughs) so we got out there i want to say we got out probably you know maybe by 10 o'clock in the morning and found a high point where he could overlook the prairie dog town and we had portable shooting benches that we use we just sit there and you wait for him to pop up and start whacking them um at that first spot we went i think the furthest shot we had was just shy of like 600 yards um but the funny thing is the one guy bracken had been out there before And he told us, he says, bring a rim fire. He says, because you'll be sitting there shooting at these prairie dogs way out in the prairie dog town, but you'll have prairie dogs pop up next to you. So just shoot (laughs) shoot those with rim fire. So we had, you know, I had two center fire rifles and a rim fire and that's exactly how it worked. There was a fence row next to us. And, uh. We'd be shooting these ones out here in the Prairie dog town. You look over to the left and here's one's popping up along that fence row. So you turn and shoot <laughs> them too. But, I mean, how, how, if
1: you had to put a number on how many you shot, how many do you actually sh- shoot versus the ammo
0: used? Oh uh, yeah. I don't want to talk about that ratio. Um, <laughs> uh, I was using a whole lot of Kentucky windage because on my main rifle I used, I was shooting a 223 had a 24 inch bull barrel on it. And I had a, uh, I think it was like an eight to 20 scope that had just a target dot on it. So there were no mill dots, no range. Oh, okay. like it was either Kentucky windage or you'd walk your shots in because you could see them. Um, I, I don't even know what I could put on it for a number, <laughs> but I think I only brought home like maybe two, 300 rounds of ammo out of, you know, for each rifle, give or take, but we shot um from like i said about 10 in the morning till 8 at night all day long i mean we brought food out with us so we'd take a break and eat and everything you know and it's funny because when you get shooting at them for a while they'll all go back into their holes so then we'd walk down there and we'd inspect the carnage you know (laughs) walk back up and by the time you get back up there wait a couple minutes they start popping up again you start shooting again (laughs) it's a blast non-stop trigger oh yeah sounds awesome it's a blast um so if you ever get the chance i recommend it yep definitely (laughs) on
1: my list Fifty
0: you have would just be awesome for that
1: yeah i Um, bet it would
0: i know one of the guys oh randy had a six ppc i had my 223 one guy had a 204 one guy had a uh i think it was called a 22 cheetah or something like that Um, I took my 308, but my scope screwed up on that within only a few rounds. So that one ended up being dead for me out there. But I mean, it's just a blast
1: 308 for a prairie. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Why not? You know, Um,
1: Hey, I'll get you the the BCs on it. They're going to be way better than your, your uh, 204 or anything like that.
0: Right. So, you know, it's funny because, um, like I said, one guy had a 204, one guy had the, um, six PPC, and it's crazy because like you're talking about with that woodchuck, you shoot them and you can watch them explode with the 204, that six PPC, um, and even that 22 cheetah. But I was using 77 grain Sierra, um, match Kings out of my two, two, three, because it's a one and eight twist. And I wanted that better performance, at long range, yep. but it definitely did not explode those prairie dogs Just it,
1: blowing right through them.
0: It, yeah. It, it killed them dead, but they just tip over. <laughs> you know so it wasn't quite as exciting so, as watching them
1: explode. Not, yeah not as much dynamite carnage going on right
0: <laughs> but that's a good time um i think too if you get out there even calling in those areas probably would be productive back then i wasn't really into doing a lot of predator hunting i didn't even think about it but i bet you if you went back out there later i mean you could probably do good calling out there too
1: i was really impressed like hunting the the trip i just took in october to nebraska um, that was completely eye-opening, like in Michigan to call in a daytime coyote, it's tough, you know, it, it takes a lot more effort to call them in Michigan out there. I mean, we're finding like these little valleys. I mean, there's no cover anywhere. So you're trying to use either a ghillie suit to cover you or whatever. But I mean, I seen more coyotes out there in three days than I see an entire month. Yeah. Well, an entire <laughs> month or two here in Michigan, you know? Right. Uh, I mean, I'm talking night hunting month or two. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I think I seen, I want to say 20, 30 coyotes in the two days that I was hunting out there. Oh, wow. So it was just crazy. I, we didn't shoot. Gosh, I think we only shot like six or seven, but we seen a lot more. And, so, uh,
0: why didn't you have shots at the rest of them? Were they hanging just up too,
1: f- just too far? Or, uh, no. Well, so, so the rancher had a old, old, uh, heifer that, uh, just was no longer had much life left in her so he walked her out there trailed her out there walked her up into these hills and that's where he dispatched her you know Mm -hmm. so he he was going to have a carcass for us to hunt on so the he put scouting cameras and everything over top of it and so we set up uh just off this carcass and that first more nothing had touched the carcass yet but mm-hmm. that first morning, I think we seen ten coyotes, and they were just walking in the distance. You know, obviously we're yeah. scanning with our thermals. We we got out in the carcass at like three o'clock in the morning, three thirty in the morning,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we're just scanning the distance. We're like, well, there's a couple coyotes. Well, there's one up there on that hilltop. You know, there's some more. And the, so the coyotes that we shot weren't even coming into the carcass. They just kind of walked over the hill and walked in. You know, our we weren't calling. <laughs> yeah, we weren't we weren't calling or anything. I think we killed two that morning that we're just walking through, I think if we would have put out a collar, we probably could have killed a lot more because when we were seeing them, there was no shortage of sightings. Wow. Um, and then, uh, and then I think it was the last morning. It was a Sunday morning just before I was going to hit the road. We decided to help hunt that carcass once more. And this time I was like, Hey, you know what, how about we put the collar out there this time? Cause if we see a coyote in the distance, we might as well call and try. Right. You know, it was a foggy morning. We weren't seeing coyotes. We weren't hearing them. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to let out a vocal and let's see if some talking in, in the area. And a whole pack lights up over the next ridge and, and we just went quiet and they weren't coming. But suddenly this female just over a couple of ridges, she starts challenge barking like none other. She was challenge howling the whole nine yards. And I'm like, let's just be quiet and see if she keeps coming. And gave it like five minutes. She challenged Howell again and cut the distance in half. I'm like, you know what? She's coming, you know, and we gave it like five more minutes and she didn't make any more noises or anything like that. So I was just about ready to hit the challenge howl on, on my collar. And just when I hit the button, she popped up over the hill and I can't recall if I let it play through or if I stopped it before it started. But anyway, she's coming and she comes in, uh, Jason Morton with CZ, uh, Bren USA. He's the, uh, vice president of marketing. So he was out there with us. And so he took the shot, dropped her right on the spot. We're like, sweet. We walk up and it wasn't a 20 pound coyote, just a <laughs> tiny little bugger. So I was, so I mean, it completely opened my eyes and I was just like, you know what? That, that bugger was looking to get her tail kicked. Her, yeah. atti- her attitude, her <laughs> attitude. I mean, she didn't stand a chance was, against coyotes small, out there. <laughs> oh my goodness. Was she ever. So, um, so it kind of opened my eyes. Obviously you can't expect it to be like that in every scenario. I was just shocked that it was in that scenario. Cause I could tell she was young based on her challenge, but I didn't realize she was that young and that small. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. It was a, that was a great trip? I learned a lot on that trip too. I mean, that's one thing about it as a coyote hunter, uh, you're never gonna have it all figured out. You, you're constantly <laughs> learning, and and it's and it's fun learning it. That's what I enjoy so much about predator hunting oh, is yeah. it's fun. Yeah. I learn something every time out, and pretty much uh, the number the number of things I learn, of course, I my memory doesn't hold on to them for very long. But you know, you're you're constantly learning and evolving.
0: Yeah. So now let's talk a little bit about your photography. That's one of the things that I really noticed. And I know you get a lot of compliments on it and comments is you take some exceptional photos. I mean, I I was actually showing some of them to my wife when she was asking me who we we're having the podcast with tonight. And I showed her some of the pictures from your page and I'm like, you know, this is the stuff that inspired me to start taking some better pictures and explore different ways to take pictures um to me taking a good picture capturing a video is it honors the hunt it honors the animal um it's aesthetically pleasing it's a good representation of what we do it's one of those that you know when the average person out there is not a hunter looks at a picture when they look at a picture like the ones you do, they're like, "Oh man, that is so cool! That's beautiful." Everything else, whereas opposed to some other ones, they're just like, "Ew, it's all blood," yeah. you know. <laughs> so
1: well, and and obviously, what we try to do, and I'm talking about Overdrive Outdoors, Dusted On, we want to bring predator hunting in a in a positive light. Yeah. There, there's so, obviously our our way of life, and I'm talking about the sportsman's way of life in the outdoors and hunting in general is. Uh, increasingly becoming under attack. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is some people don't care and they constantly give the fuel for that attack. And we need to do better as sportsmen. You know, we really do across the board. And, and I try to bring that out in my photos. Um, And, and there's so many different ways to try to take photos. I've actually been uh, experimenting with even just using a cell phone and, I, I've said this before online As a lot of my photos is it really, there's not a ton of anything special about the way I'm taking photos. A lot of it has to do with um, the lighting angle and the lighting angle is where you get that kind of that dramatic feel of, of some of the images. And I actually started when I started taking the nighttime photos was with an older DSLR camera. And all of my lighting came from the night snipe recovery light. Mm -hmm. And as we know, that light's bright. So Mm -hmm. trying to, uh, time it right with a long exposure shot and get that, get the light going through where it's brightening everything up just right. Um, but it left really sharp lines. I guess you could say like the shadows were sharp, um, and the light, the light was sharp. So what I ended up finding as I continued to progress is in different lighting. So towards the end of me using that s- camera system, I was actually using my cell phone flashlight because it provides a nice soft glow as mm. opposed to harshness. You might have to leave the light on the subject or on the target a little bit longer. And if you're trying to take photos of people, you know, the, the problem with long exposures, you can't move. You right. have to be completely still And, um, and that's hard to do when you're trying to do a longer lighting, uh, scenario.
0: So let's, let's talk a little bit about the equipment. Um, you said you have been doing some with your phone, right?
1: I've been toying around with it. It's, uh, it's been, when I get time, I haven't spent a lot of time with it, but just on and off.
0: And what kind of phone do you have?
1: I just got the iPhone. 10 max. Okay. I believe is what it what I've been using. So and it's been a, a great phone especially for daylight stuff, you know, it does a good job. But uh at night it allows you to select whether you want a 1 second, 2 second, 3 second or up to 10 second exposure. Um so the hunt that I recently did with Rich Fowlab, Lab, uh I was kind of showing him how using a cell phone, I gave him a quick tutorial on like obviously all I had was a corn stalk to hold my phone. So it didn't, it wasn't ideal, but I, and then I showed him off to the side, I had the night sniper recovery light and I just painted the scene with my night snipe light. Um, and it just kind of opened his eyes on how some of the photos kind of come to life doing that. Now, the, the amount of light that the cell phone brought in it's a trial and error thing. Cause I mean, that was really my first go around at it. So I had to hit the web. I was just trying to take pictures of the guns. I had to hit them with the light a little bit longer for my cell phone to recognize like, Oh, okay. Here's some new stuff happening here. And, and it would draw that light into the photo. So it took, I think I took three shots and had one that I was happy enough with to throw online.
0: Okay. So for someone that wants to try and take better pictures with the phone, what, Can you explain a little bit as to what you need to do in settings to achieve that good, best quality you can with your phone for nighttime photos?
1: Yeah. So there are some apps and I I still haven't toyed around with all the different apps that are out there. There's some good camera apps as opposed to using the one that's stock on your phone. Really? Um, Yeah. There's a handful of them out there. So you can adjust um, you know, your, your aperture, your shutter speed, your stuff like that. So what you want to do for those long exposure type photos is you want to adjust the shutter speed to, so the shutter is staying open from anywhere from one to 10 seconds. And that same thing applies to, if you're going with a DSLR, um, is is you just, you open up that, I, it's just leaving that shutter open longer and allowing more light to come in. And then for for a background light, uh, like I said, the night snipe recovery light's been a great one for adding light to the scene. Uh, it's a good bright light, and if you don't want it so bright, you can also you know you tap that button, do a half tap, and it'll dim it down a little bit. But uh, some of the stuff that you can do with your cell phone is it can help it out. And ultimately, you need a tripod or you need something to hold it for you. Uh, trying to handhold it for ten seconds and not moving at all is impossible. <laughs>
0: that's,
1: that's <laughs> I mean, I—that's one, I,
0: that's one I thing that shake. I did is I bought a—it's a camera tripod that actually comes with a remote that Bluetooths to your phone. So oh, for okay. doing that, all I have to do is set that tripod down; it locks into your phone, and I can do whatever, and the remote will take the picture for me. Oh, so there you go. That's how I'm able to get pictures with myself in the photo and not have anyone with me as I just set that tripod up. I have the Bluetooth remote in my hand. And once I get situated where I want, I hit that button and it takes the picture. I'm, um, I'm
1: usually, I'm usually just setting the timer either on my yep. phone or I on used my to camera. Do that. Yep. <clears throat> but uh, you gotta, you gotta make sure you're not tripping over anything as you're right? running back. <laughs> and you don't so.
0: leave the tripod and stuff laying there when you leave and everything. Y- yep. Um, so I'm looking at my camera phone right now and I put it in pro mode. And the settings I have at the bottom are, the first one is ISO. So does ISO affect anything?
1: Yeah. So the lower the number, the less light is coming in. Okay. So, so the, but the higher the number, the more noise you introduce into the photo. So Mm -hmm. if you, so for example, I mean, like I said, I upgraded my camera, my DSLR camera, and I can go up to right around ten thousand iso before i start getting Mm grain uh before i start getting noticeable grain where it just would drive me nuts i so i never shoot that high anyway um but my old camera i couldn't shoot over 1200 iso without getting grain so um but yeah so the higher the number the more grain because it's it's, the computer is trying to pull in light that's not there and it's working ultra hard so that's where the grain comes from
0: so I see on uh, mine, I have a range of from fifty to eight hundred.
1: Yeah. So you if you you will have to test out the capabilities and what your phone is capable of doing. Mm-hmm. You might you could try boosting it up to eight hundred, and you might find that it's going to have too much noise and 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 not make a usable photo. So you might need to go down to four hundred.
0: Okay. Um,
1: but you if you try try at eight hundred, so so you got your ISO let's just say you put it at 800 Mm -hmm. let's and then um there's a calculation i don't remember it right off top of my head regarding zoom versus the length of your exposure um because what happens is if you set your exposure time too long you'll start getting star trails because you're actually getting the rotation of the earth really um in, in the shot so if you've got like if I used my six hundred millimeter lens, for example, and I zoomed way up on a star and I set it at ten seconds long, you're gonna get a streak in the shot as opposed to just a single star. okay? So
0: so the next setting on my phone is f one point that's 5? your
1: a- Yep. that's your aperture. And now, is that, so is that
0: the- a time measurement then and how long Nope,
1: aperture- that's your iris. The that size. is the iris okay. yep, that's the size of your iris. So, The the lower the number, the wider your iris is. Okay. So the 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 higher that number is, the smaller your iris is, and that's your depth of field. So so, um the the shorter so if you went with a one point five f one point five, your your ability to focus let's just say is this much. So things within this range will be in focus. Mm -hmm. I'm talking this this way away from your camera, and the higher that number goes, the more that range is extended, but your light is reduced.
0: Okay. So, so like on mine, the range is one twenty-four thousandths up to ten.
1: F one. You're yeah. talking shutter speed.
0: Is that what it is? Okay. That sounds all like I, shutter. All I know, I don't know if I can show you there. The, I probably yeah.
1: Can. It's a little bit out of focus, but yeah. Uh,
0: but um. um yeah it's just labeled as f 1.5 and then when you tap on that it gives you from one twenty four thousand thousandths to 10 as your range okay
1: i had a little static coming into that i don't know where that was coming from my end or your end um some backfeed. um uh, but yeah the so your aperture or iris is typically an f but those numbers just didn't seem like they're quite correlating for some reason so but usually it's like an f one point. Like uh, my my best lens that I have right now is f one point eight is the lowest it'll go. Uh, I can go. I can buy a lens that's a one point four, but it's a sixteen hundred dollar lens. So and and you're really not gaining that much more for for the money, in my opinion. Okay. But uh, um, and then and then you go to shutter speed, which should be an option there.
0: Okay. Well, my next one it has a circle with a plus and minus in it if i tap that it doesn't do anything
1: that sounds sounds like an, like an auto exposure okay like setting
0: and then my next uh, adjustment is af
1: that sounds like autofocus
0: okay and then after that the next one is actually i think it's white balance Yeah. it says a 3200k yep and then uh, the last setting I have is all your specifics like tint, contrast, saturation, highlight, and shadow. Hmm.
1: So they don't give you a shutter shutter option or a timer?
0: Um, not that I can. There's some stuff up top. Let me see what we got here. That's my timer. don't want that. Uh, ratio, um, metering, nope, and autofocus area. That's it. So those are the hmm. only – oh, wait, here we go. I got an I. Uh, I said ISO already. Yep. Um. Yeah, that's the only settings I got. Hmm. Now, okay. Yeah,
1: there should be a shutter setting somewhere, and that's where you adjust your shutter speed. Okay. So if you're trying to capture a moment in time, let's just say you're you're trying to capture this bullet flying out of a rifle, you're gonna have to have a ridiculously fast shutter speed, which my camera's not even capable of doing. But, right. um. But. Uh, if you're trying to lengthen time, so then you can add lighting, uh, move things. Or if you, that's how guys, if you, if you want a streak of light coming in the background, you have a long exposure and then you walk through the scene with a light shining back towards the camera. Uh, Clinton and I had, had done a couple of things similar to that, where we did long exposure while trying to set up some coyotes for a photo shoot. Um, and that turned out unexpectedly good. Um, that was the
0: one with the coyote leaving the body? <laughs>
1: well, that was that was a different one. So oh. that one, the coyote, the ghosting coyote one, was a long exposure shot. But for each shot, I turned off the flashlight and then turned it back on momentarily. And then I left like for that last shot where it's not, it looks like the coyote's almost completely invisible. Was such a quick shot of light that it was barely even on. Mm-hmm. and so it kind of gave that see-through appearance um i mean it it was all one single shot but uh you know it just different timing of the light that hit the shot i'm down to 10 percent battery on my phone that's what that little warning <laughs> gotcha. just just popped up
0: <laughs> okay so now when you do your lighting for the picks um do you have the light let's say your subject is in front of you do you try and aim the light Uh, crossed in front of it at the subject behind the subject
1: so my lighting I usually um if I had to so let's just say you know this is the subject here the camera is I'm going to put an imaginary camera where I'm at here my lighting is usually coming from about a 45 30 to 45 degree angle above the subject coming down um and obviously I change that lighting sometimes and now with the flash system that I'm using, it's allowing me to add lighting from both directions and it's allowing me to change how much light is coming from this angle versus how much light is coming from this angle. So it's, the new system is allowing me a lot more options. I just, I haven't explored fully what those options are. you again, photography is just like hunting. You, you're always learning something new and a new technique.
0: Oh, sure. Um, Not only that, and the technology changes too.
1: Constantly. So, um, so yeah, that's usually my, you know, 30 to 45 degree angle above the subject and usually about 30 degrees away from the camera. And, and so then it gives that, it casts the shadow off the other direction, kind of gives a little bit of a dramatic effect off the one side of the face because the whole face isn't lit, lit up. It's kind of shadowed over here a little bit. So it, it allows for some different effects and it, it all comes down to lighting angle.
0: Okay that's something I'll have to play around with more. Cause I know a lot of times I'll use the off-road lights on my truck as lighting. And mm-hmm. a lot of times you can tell, I- I've learned that I have to offset myself from that. Otherwise face is washed out and everything else. So I really have to you know, watch those angles and actually get better lighting when I'm off to the side of that light source, kind of like what you were saying.
1: Well, and so there's another photo that I recent that I did during my Texas trip where we had the, uh, Kawasaki mules with the green lights on the front. So I knew that those lights, if we turn them on for a long exposure and left them on the whole time, it wasn't going to work. It was going to wash out the entire photo. So one of the guys from Sellmark was on the ranch with us and I asked him, I'm like, Hey, is there any chance? I said, all you need to do when you hear that camera go click, I need you to flip on, flip this on, flip it off. That's all it needs is just a quick flip on and off, run around to the other mule because as long as no light is hitting him, he will be invisible in that shot. So he won't ever be picked up. Yep. So as long as no lighting is, so I had the flashes set up. So it captured the initial image of the buggies and everything like that. And then flipping on and off the green lights brought in that portion of the image later on, as that camera is processing everything else going on. So, yep. He, he ran around he missed the high rack that would have made things a little rough if he would have hit the high rack on his way around but he ran around the high rack flipped on and off the other one real quick and it you know i think it took us three takes and we finally and we got the right the image that i was looking for
0: so So. one of the things i see in a lot of your pictures i really liked my wife commented on too is catching the stars in the sky
1: yep that comes from the long exposure okay and, and i mean
0: and, and and
1: long exposure along with iso and along with aperture it all ties in together okay. and once you learn the three that's where you start capturing the stars in the photo and that's where uh with the iphone i've been able to start capturing that so i know,
0: I know with my phone there's actually a night mode and that's actually okay. helped me get stuff closer to what i've seen out of your pictures so yep. if, you, if you know anyone listening if you have explore the options on your phone for modes and if it has a night mode i think it sets it up for a lot of that stuff because that has helped with my pictures a lot
1: yep and just having a good steady platform to set your phone on um and you're off off to the races and you yep. just play with settings until you start finding that happy spot so yeah.
0: so once once you learn the camera or your phone for those picks, the next thing is just setting up a good picture to take.
1: Right. Yep. Organizing your coyotes in a respectful fashion. You know, I try to always, uh, stick their tongues back in their mouths and, you know, wipe off any blood that if it's possible, sometimes it just, it's too messy and you can't do much with it. But, um, you know, I, I'll try to, the, the last photo I did with the triple in that one set, uh, with the two coyotes and a red fox that you're dragging them across a muddy field. So I had to take a stick, (laughs) you know, and I had to, you know, I, as I laid them up there, put them up on the barn there, you know, I took a stick and I brushed all the fur and cleaned them all up as nicely as I could. And, you know, let's, if, if you want to jump into this type of photography, it's going to take some time. I mean, it eats up easily eats up a set. For us at the end of the night. Right. Um, anywhere from half an hour to an hour, we will spend doing these photos. Now, <laughs> the new system has improved the timing just a little bit because I'm not having to constantly play with the lighting, but it um, it adds some time to the night regardless. Yeah. So,
0: and, and another thing too that you see in yours is the backdrop. I mean, yeah, you want to get the animals set up right. So you get good image of the animals. If you want you know, people in the picture, that your equipment, but also just a good backdrop. I mean, that's one thing that I really like about your pictures, obviously, is the sky or clouds. But even, you know, trees or even if it's a hill of snow or something, just having a nice backdrop that will um, help set that picture off helps a lot when you're, you know, just take a look around where you're at, where you're parked or whatever and see something. I mean, one thing I really like and my wife likes about some of the pictures I've taken too is if you can get you know, like an old barn or a fence line or something like that. Any of that stuff really makes a good opportunity for some good pictures.
1: One thing I haven't found yet is a piece of, uh, art, uh, e- equipment, you know, a, a plow or disc or something like that. I know Josh has done it a couple times. I think you have too. Yep. Um, I've been looking for that and I just can't, I haven't <laughs> been able to find one. So right. I've been wanting to do that shot, but, um, you know, that, that, uh, photo that Clinton and I did, I think we had four coyotes that night and we, one of the spots we had hunted earlier in that night, we realized like, Hey, there's a lot of color right here in these trees. We might have to consider this for pictures at the end of the night. Nope. We drove back there and it started raining. We waited a half an hour for the rain to stop <laughs> before we pulled everything out and we got that shot. And that to, that is one of, I mean, I have a bunch of favorite shots, but that one there, I mean, the tree was on fire. I mean, the, the, the color and the fall and everything just popped in that picture. So that was just one of the, one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh,
0: that was a good I, I, one. I remember that one.
1: I think I'm running down, yeah. down to 5% now. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll close it up here.
0: Um, so if someone wants to see any of your work or follow you guys, what platforms are you on?
1: So Dusted Dawn Outdoors is primarily on Facebook. Um, if they want to follow, um, myself or any other guys, we all, we all have our own Instagram and our own personal Facebook pages. Um, and that's pretty much about it. You know, we're dabbling in some of the other social media platforms, but unfortunately, Facebook is still kind of one of the main ones. As much as we all hate it, we kind of, <laughs> we re- it does help us with our audience. So, yeah. um, so until something better comes along, that's, those are the best places to find us.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate the tips and the information.
1: You bet. And, uh, thank you for having me.
0: All you guys listening, feel free to check them out. Chris Kreiner, um, Clinton Taylor, Keith Thelen, and-
1: Kyle Wilson and Chris Elmore.
0: Okay, Chris Elmore is the one I couldn't remember. Yep. yep. So check them out on Facebook, obviously, and Instagram. And uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon.
1: See ya.